I had a blood test this week, and the um, results came back. Amy got on the portal, and my number for PSA is 0.03 now. Amen. So uh, I, I go see the oncologist on Thursday, so I'll have more information, but I reckon that's good. So I'm very thankful today. Many of you have started reading the Bible through the year. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Some of y'all are using the Bible recap. That's a beautiful tool to use to get you reading the Bible. If you haven't started, it's not too late. You can begin today. And if you need a kickstart, I want to encourage you. I forgot to talk to you about this last week. One of the uh, best spiritual exercises that I've experienced myself is to read the book of Philippians every day for 30 days. And you'll be amazed what will take place if you'll do that. People that are struggling with discouragement and despair and oftentimes grief, I've encouraged them to read the book of Philippians. Many of you have done that. And it is an amazing thing when you read it for 30 days, every single day. It's only four chapters. It's a quick read. You know, but as you begin to read it, the, the truths that we find in Philippians will really begin to reveal themselves to you, and it's a tremendous thing to do. In, in 2010, 40,000 people were surveyed, and in this survey, it's from the ages of 8 to the ages of 80, which is quite an amazing thing, 40,000 people and it was, a, it was basically a survey to determine the impact the Bible has on us when we just simply read it and study it and just let it soak into us. And the results of the survey, I thought, is, is pretty, pretty interesting. When you read the Bible once a week, the result is nothing. There's no change. There's nothing significant about that. Interesting, isn't it? So going to church is kind of, now this is very humbling to a preacher, going to church once a week when you leave, nah, no big deal, no, no impact, got to work on that. When you read the Bible two times a week, there's no change in people. When you read the Bible three times a week, it, there is some impact, there is some change but it's, it's so small, the survey reported that it barely even raises the needle on, on life change. But they found something very interesting. People that read the Bible four times a week, the meter just jumps off the page. And the meter is life change. Faith increases Desire to pray jumps off the chart. Problems with certain sins is handled, acknowledged four times. Joy becomes part of life. A desire to worship really does begin to, to build in people by just reading the Bible four times a week. And, and it's almost like the earthquake scale. You know, it rocks along one, two, three, and then the earthquake scale starts jumping up and four to five to six, it gets, it gets, just really gets high. And 
if you read the Bible five and six and seven times, there's not as much increase in spiritual desire and spiritual longing as there was after between three and four, but it still significantly rises. So get in the habit of reading the Bible at least four times a week. And, and, and I was thinking this morning about that. You know, you've got a big, big mountain. You're trying to build a road. And that mountain re, might represent for us challenges, problems, struggles, issues, difficulties, pains and that we may have, habits that are getting a hold of us. And reading the Bible once a week is like digging a hole in the mountain and putting dynamite in it. And reading the Bible two times is the next day you go over and look at the dynamite. It's still sitting there. Nothing has happened. You, you know, the third time, it, 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 it's still sitting there, you know. But the fourth time, you go over there and you light the fuse to the dynamite, and it blows the mountain up. So I want to encourage you. Life change for those 40,000 people was recorded after they read the Bible four times a week. Philippians chapter 1. We looked at verses 1 through 11 last week, and today I want us to look at verses 12 through verse 18. Verses 12 through verse 18. Verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. I want you to know. So that would mean to us, pay attention, really, really focus on what he's about to tell us. He said, I want you to really know this. So from the Apostle Paul's experience, it's something really important for us here. Important if true. We need to know what he's about to say us. The first thing he tells us, it begins there in the second part of verse 12. He says, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Everything. Now, Paul is in ho under house arrest in Rome when he writes this, okay? In under, under house arrest in Rome, he wrote Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, and, and, he, and, and he, in Ephesus, and, and so that advanced the gospel. He says, everything that ha has happened to me here has helped to advance the gospel or to spread the good news. Now, it is reasonable to think that if the Apostle Paul is locked up, if he is kept from traveling, if he is kept from speaking at the synagogue, if he is kept away from people, it is reasonable to think that the gospel would suffer, isn't it? it? It would not be shared. I mean, he's the one. He's the gifted one. He's the powerful one. He's the best one. He's your cleanup hitter. If you are in Philippi and you are going to have uh, the, uh, uh, someone that's going to draw people in and really be able to explain to them the truth of God's word, it's the apostle Paul. I mean, he, he's spectacular. I mean, God chose the right guy at the right time to take the good news to the Gentiles. We would think it'd be reasonable that if he is locked up in prison, the gospel is not going to advance. 
but the unreasonable happened. And the gospel advanced because Paul was in prison. And he goes on to tell us how that happened. It's very simple. It's, it's not a, a, a big strategic plan. It, it's, they didn't hire, you know, a great uh, um, advertising agency to come in and give them the five things to do to get the gospel message out there so that it would advance, so it would flourish. It was simply just what came natural to Paul. It says in verse 13, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard. Now, the palace guard was responsible for guarding Paul. In our way of thinking, it's, it's the guy that's been in his special forces with a Green Beret for 30 years. He's had all the training. It's the Navy SEAL. It's the Marine that's been in and had lots of training and lots of combat experience. That is who is in the palace guard. They're hand-selected. They're people of tenure. They're, they're people of bravery, of great courage. And, and, and that's who's guarding Paul. He says, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. So what did Paul do? Under house arrest... He shared the good news with the people that were around him. Now, we do have some information that people in the book of Acts, that when he was under house arrest, people were able to go visit him, and that's the everyone here. He would share the good news with them. Everyone that was assigned to him today, I can just imagine that Paul is perhaps waiting for the door to open to the, the house he's at, and when the door opens, he goes, ah, a new fella. A new fella's assigned to guard me today. And he would sit down and he said, where are you from? And he says, well, I'm from wherever he's from. And, and how long have you been in the Roman army? He says, I, you know, what are, where all did you serve? He says, well, I was part of the group that went into England and built the walls, whatever it might have been, you know. And he goes, oh, how's that going for you and stuff? And he said, do you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all? Do you know that I was shipwrecked, that I've been in prison before? Paul was in prison in Ephesus. He was in prison in Jerusalem. He was in prison in Caesarea. He was in prison in Philippi. Got to see that jail. It's not outstanding. It's not a great big complex. It's by no means Alcatraz, but it was really cool to see where he was in jail in Philippi. He's been in jail a lot. I mean, you would think that he would, you would think that the apostle Paul would learn his lesson. And he would learn that probably he doesn't need to talk to people about Jesus. He probably needs to be quiet. Life would be much easier for Paul if he would just be quiet, but he's not going to. And, and he shared the gospel with everyone that came into his house under prison guard, under house arrest, and he shared the gospel with the whole prison guard. You know that was quite interesting. You know that, that the fact that he did that, he was given those palace guards, something that they couldn't explain away. He was giving them something that they had to leave. And just like the centurion, when he saw Jesus down the cross, he said, surely this is the son of God. And he gave him something to think about. He gave him something that was completely unreasonable. Every time the prison guard goes to guard Paul, Paul just shares with them the good news about Jesus. And it spread. 
it spread. And it's an amazing thing. It is unreasonable, but it's, but it's an amazing thing to think about this, that perhaps the gospel spread quicker with Paul's problems. Paul's problems. We kind of fight problems, don't we? We fight persecution. We fight rejection. We, we, we fight issues and difficulties. And, and, and there's even theology out there that we're all aware of that says that you're not right with God if, if you're put in prison. You're not right with God if you're poor. You're not right with God if you're sick. You're not right with God if, if your life is not blessing after blessing after blessing. Matter of fact, you're not, you don't have enough faith if, if you get sick or ill or, or don't have any money or something like that. And, and here's the Apostle Paul, without any of that, he, there is, there, the thorn in the flesh is there. There's some kind of malady. It might have been his eyesight. I, I think it was diverticulitis. I just can't imagine a thorn in the flesh. Nothing quite like that diverticulitis. Something that, that bothered him, that pestered him all the time. And, and Paul made the most of every opportunity he had and even being in prison. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know that Paul's circumstances advance the good news. So, perspective. One of the lessons of this scripture here today is how important perspective is. Perspective. When something happens, maybe you're put in jail. <laughs> maybe you lose an account. Maybe you lose a job. Maybe you lose at something. Maybe you don't get the promotion. Maybe something happens that you would say, this is not a good thing. Perspective says opportunity. Opportunity to do what God wants. Because that's what you have here with Paul. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to think about this. But those people that have never heard the gospel, you know, what is, what is, uh, poss- what, what about that? What about people that never hear? Well, I have learned through the years to flip that around a little bit and to realize that today there are so few places where God doesn't have someone sharing the good news. It's an amazing thing. In, in pockets of the dark jungle, God has someone sharing Jesus with those people. In villages in Sudan, South Sudan, God has someone sharing the good news with people that are there. Today, there are witnesses of Jesus Christ in Mecca. Do you know that? They, have, they, uh, they are there to share the gospel with the people that go to walk around that box on their pilgrimage. There's witnesses in Iran today. There are pieces of information that come out of Iran all the time, and, and it speaks about how many people are coming to faith in Christ in Iran today. It's illegal to be a believer in Iran, but it's growing. We know, we've talked about, a lot about the growth of the church in China. 
today. Illegal to have faith in China, to share faith in China. I mean, Paul wants us to know, the, the Scriptures speak to us, says, you need to know this, that my imprisonment, Paul says, has served to advance the good news. Verse 14, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So, the believers are encouraged because of Paul. You would think, reasonable again, you would think that the believers, it would scare them away from sharing their, the gospel with people. But instead, it had just the result, re, reverse result in that they, could, they were sharing the gospel. They became confident in their faith, and they became bold. So, you need to, need to think about that just for a moment. Persecution does not stop the gospel. Resistance does not stop the gospel. Laws do not stop the gospel. Culture does not stop the, go- the, the gospel. Being outnumbered does not stop the sharing of the good news of Jesus. Our Lord has always got people willing to share. To me, that highlights how powerful the Lord is. That, that should, as it did to the believers there in Paul's hearing, it strengthened their faith. It should strengthen our faith today. It, it literally should cause us to have a real passion and desire to live beyond our circumstances for the cause of Jesus. Paul did, and we should, and we can. Then the next thing we have here is that we see that the message of the gospel, it is far more important than the messenger. Thank goodness that's true. Verse 15, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Man, that's still true today. Do you know that? I I think some of the most competitive people I've ever met are preachers. They want to have the biggest, the best. They want to be known They want to be on TV. They want to be on the radio. They want to have huge, huge congregations. And and they're driven, many out of jealousy and rivalry. Paul says there are are messengers that are faulty, that are preachers that you got to watch out for, he says here in verse 15. In verse 16, he says, they preach because they love me. uh, He said, excuse me, the last part of verse 15, others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. But in verse 17, it says, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. Their intent is not pure. Their intent is Paul is silence, Paul is in Rome, opportunity to take over opportunity to become the big shot, opportunity to become the one that everyone is going to listen to, and and their ability to persuade is going to grow. Paul's in prison. Let's get bigger and, and, and let's silence Paul. Paul says, some preach out of love. They preach out of love for me. They preach not in competition with me, but in partnership with me. He rejoiced with those who preach out of love. 
But also we see here in this scripture in verse 18, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. So not only does Paul have great perspective about being in prison, the advancement of the gospel, but he also has just great understanding, great awareness of what really matters. He says in verse 18, but that doesn't matter. But what is it in the English Standard Version? But what is it? What is it that some preach out of rivalry? Some preach out of selfish ambition. Some preach out of jealousy. If the true gospel is presented, I will rejoice in that. Now, he's not speaking about false, uh, false uh, motives that are preaching a false gospel. That would not be uh, rejoice worthy of Paul. But they're speaking the truth, although they're doing it with flawed spirits with fraud, flawed reasons behind that. And Paul says, but what does that matter? If the gospel is being presented, that's a good thing. I, I, I receive every week an email that's called Ministry Watch. And I can't, it's one of those things like a train wreck. You know, you want to look away, but you just can't. And every time it comes on my email thing and I see ministry watch, I always open it, always look at it. And hardly a week goes by that in that ministry watch email, uh, they, don't, they don't have a story about a preacher somewhere that gets in trouble, that it's, it's moral problems, it's money problems, greed problems. Uh, all kinds of things are taking place. And when you really think about that for a moment, you think that with, I mean, there, there's no question. I think about this sometimes. There is absolutely no question in the body of Christ today, in the church today, that Satan hates messengers. He hates the preachers. He goes after them. I mean, you know, there, there's been all kinds of reports that I've, I've seen. This, this guy was on fire. He was making a difference. He was reaching people of Christ. The Lord was blessing his ministry, and, 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 and he's been in newspapers and articles, and, and he's got his videos on the Internet and all those kind of things taking place, right? And then something happens. Maybe it was always there, but now it's just been revealed, or perhaps there's been a change that happens. I mean, you know, power does corrupt, and, and perhaps they weren't able to handle it. Regardless of the reason, and they, they've been so impactful preaching the good news of Christ and teaching people and, and, and doing wonderful things, heralded as a great servant of the Lord, and then everything is gone. You would think with all the cases that happen today that the gospel would cease to move forward. But the truth is, it's not. It carries on. People are still being saved. People are still hearing the good news. 
And, and, and here we are in Lido, and we're sharing the gospel. But the gospel is being shared all over the world today. People are giving their lives to share the good news. People are experiencing great hardships today to share the good news. You know, they're not sharing hardship to, to sell Chevrolet. They're not sharing hardship to to sell some product out there that everybody's to have. They're, they're not willing to face that, but the good news, they're willing to face all kinds of obstacles to share with people the good news. And, and what Paul says here, and what he wants us to know is this, truth wins out over the flawed messenger. Truth wins out over the flawed messenger. So some lessons from this scripture here today that I think are significant. First one is Paul's perspective is very healthy, something for us to apply to our walk with Christ, perspective. All is not lost from Paul. I'm here in prison under house arrest, not knowing if Nero is going to have enough for me tomorrow. And, and legend is either he had his head chopped off or he was stabbed on a bridge in Rome. And, and that's up for debate. Paul didn't know how much time he had left, but he didn't, he didn't give up. He didn't give in. He stayed confident and he stayed faithful knowing that the gospel advanced in everything that happened to him. The second thing is truth always wins out over immorality. Truth always wins out over flawed messengers. The message is far more important and significant than the messenger. And we need to have a strong, strong dose, a strong understanding of what really, truly matters in life. And for Paul, the illustration is flawed messengers preaching the message. But he said, I will rejoice with flawed messengers preaching the message because the message is preached. And that's what really matters. The gospel is what really matters. And I think that this scripture here says that we ought to look to what is the good news? What is the good news that Paul is worth dying for? What is the good news that Paul is willing to suffer over and over and over for? What is the good news that in prison, Paul said, the good news advanced? Well, let me, let me share with you some things that are not the good news. I must do better is not good news. I must do better. I need to take my kids to church is not good news. Now, it's good news, it's not a bad thing, but it's not the good news of the gospel. I need to straighten up is not the good news. I need to do more good things is not the good news. I need to go to church. I need to be baptized. Those are good things, but those things are not the good news. The good news is we don't have to. We don't have to straighten up. We don't have to do better. We, we don't have to improve ourselves. God loved us so much 
that he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And while we are sinners, Jesus came and died and paid the price of our sin. And if we believe in what Jesus has done for us, we will pass from death to life. We will not be condemned. We will not perish. That's good news. That's the good news that's worth suffering for. That's the good news that lights the dynamite in the mountain. The good news that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And only through Christ is there salvation. Many times we are programmed, I believe, to work harder. To work harder to improve ourselves. That maybe, maybe if we just do enough, God will accept us. That's bad news. That's bad news. But the good news is, as we are, sin and all, flawed and all, we say, Lord, here's my life. Please come into my life. Forgive me of all of my sin. And, and I want to receive salvation and be forgiven. That's good news. Help us, Lord, to focus on what really matters today. Help us, Lord, to have a great perspective on trials and problems. And help us to learn from Paul, the bottom line, that he suffered greatly for the good news. And Lord, thank you so much for the good news that takes us from where we are and takes us to where you want us to be. And it's not through any human effort. Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior. We bow before you today. In Christ's name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.